You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Cryptopsy, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. In case you missed it last week, Devastation on the Nation 2020 has been postponed until 2021. So Devastation on the Nation 2021, featuring Rodden Christ, Borknagar, Wolfhart, Abigail Williams, and Imperial Triumphant, will be running from February 11th all the way through to March 14th. Huge shout out to Dan DeFonts for pulling this off, putting it all together so quickly. Much love and respect. For any of you that don't know who Dan DeFonts is, he's the man behind Metal Festival Tours. He works for Unique Leader Records, and he also works for Continental Touring. So Devastation on the Nation 2021 is coming at you next year. If you already had tickets for Devastation on the Nation 2020, you can either hold on to them, and those tickets will be honored at the Devastation on the Nation 2021 show, or you can go back to your place of purchase to get refunded. But I think you should hold on to them and come to Devastation 2021 next year, because it's a party you don't want to miss. Devastation on the Nation is brought to you by Metal Festival Tours, Continental Touring, and the Vox and Haas Podcast. COVID-19 is something that we need to take serious, and social distancing is the best way to do that. I'm about a week and a half into social distancing myself. It is um, not always easy, but it is necessary. If you have any um, problems being alone, if you need any help, reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member. Everybody is going through the same thing, and we can all help ourselves get through this. If we all stay home, we all stay safe, this will all be over much sooner. Hey, what's up? This is Lynn Jess. We're just you! From Fox and Hops, kicking it large with my boy Manny McGuckie. In for Foofs Electrics, Montreal, Canada! Hey, thank you so, so, so much, Lynn. Much love and respect to my brothers from Ingested. Uh, in case you guys are not aware, I have interviewed all of the members of Ingested. Over the past year, they are some of my favorite human beings to tour with, and uh, I owe them a present. I mentioned it at the end of my interview with Sean Hines that I had interviewed the whole lineup, so I owe them something special. I always give t-shirts to my Vox and Hops alumni. I need something special for when I complete a whole band. If you guys have any ideas of what I should be giving these ultimate alumni, uh, just let me know, because uh, I'm still pondering. I have a few ideas in mind, but um, nothing that uh, I'm completely married to yet. On today's episode, I'm with Mike Ashton of Vitriol. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 119. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today I'm with Mike Ashton from Vitriol, and we are at Le Saint-Bac Brasserie Artisanale, one of my favorite craft beer places in Montreal. How are you doing, brother? You just played a slayer of a set at Fofon Electric. It was absolutely intense and visceral. I loved every moment of it. Oh, thank you so much. And the, the crowd was really great, too. People showed up early. Uh, Montreal likes to get out, go out on Monday, so that's real nice. Being fair, I'm somewhat biased. But I really think that Montreal is a strong metal scene, and you guys have such a hype and such a buzz that I'm not surprised that they were there to see you that early. Yeah, Montreal is great. We've played two other shows in Canada so far, and this is by far the best, I want to say. Good, good. Cheers to my Montreal friends coming out and supporting Vitriol. 
As I said, we were at Saint Artisanal. We were just delivered a beautiful beer. It is their white Belgian. It is called La Repentante. Clocks in at a 5.5%. Let's see what the sucker's got. Cheers. Smells nice and banana-y slightly. Incredibly dry and super low ester content, but still there a little bit. What do you think about this? I, I really. How, how would you feel about it? It seems like a beer you could easily put away four or five of in a very short period of time. Which is, is it happens sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about your beer path. Take me back to your very first beer. Do you remember your first beer? Uh, my very first beer was a natural ice, and it was awful and... It took me, that I was probably 15 or 16, and it took me until a couple of years later when uh, I tried my friend's homebrew for the first time before I really fell in love with beer. So that's a very interesting path right there, going from drinking commercial, widespread, light beers, and not just like, normally I get the path to like, it's the Sierra Nevada, or it's the Sam Adams. You went straight to a homebrew. What's that story? Uh, so I... You know, was burned on that natural ice experience, and uh, my best friend, he his friend homebrewed, and he had three varieties. There's a brown ale, red ale, uh, and a pale ale, so it was all really old man styles, and I had, the red ale was the first one I had, and I fell in love immediately, and then I started seeking out like beers locally at the local liquor store that would sell me sell to me underage. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky. Uh, being from Portland, such a craft beer mecca. Where did you go next? What would be some of the breweries that you gravitated towards? When I first moved to Port, I moved to Portland in uh, 2013. I moved right next door to one of the biggest beer stores in town. Um, it's called John's Market. So. I kind of hovered around there for a long time. They had, you know, well over 2,000 different beers. So I hung out there for a long time before I started going to, like, the breweries and whatnot. But brewery-wise in Portland, I really like Wayfinder, Culmination, Zoigel House. Um, those are some of my favorites right now. From that red ale, where did you go? What became your go-to style of beer? I cycled through a lot of the hoppy beers for a long time, but I fell in love with uh, Imperial Stouts and Barley Wines, and those became the mainstays of my beer drinking for a long time. If Vitriol could ever make a craft beer for themselves, what style beer would it be, and what would it be called? Oh, man. Um, well, the other guys don't really drink or anything, but... If I could, if vitriol could be personified as a beer, I would think some sort of either English strong ale, like a barley wine, or maybe like a stock ale, um, something nice and malty and caramely. And uh, what would it be called? Uh, that's hard. Maybe trench knife. That'd be badass. <laughs> Your band sort of just popped. I interviewed a few people leading up to your album release, and everyone was hyped about you guys. Notably, Monty. Shout out to Monty. Monty's great. I love you, Monty. Shout out to my bassist, Ollie Pinard. Love you, Ollie. Also, Elo. Was, I was also super hyped up for you guys, and that's how you got on my radar. Everyone just kept mentioning your band name. How do you feel about all the hype that has happened with your first record? It's incredible. I'm at a loss for words, and I know Kyle and Adam and Scott put a lot of really hard work into the record, and it's just it's really cool to see them getting the recognition that I know they all deserve for it. 
It's, it's been completely unreal. The fan response and the opportunities we've gotten through this, like, I could not be more grateful, and we just got to keep going with it. Take me back to your youth. When you were growing up in your house, what music was playing when you weren't in control of the radio? Pop country. Yeah? Oh, yeah. And how do you think Like Shania Twain and like Canadian Sugarland, that sort of stuff. It was not my favorite. My dad got me into like Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, but that was about the heaviest thing that ever crossed the radio in our household. At what point did you venture into your own styles? Uh, I think I discovered Metallica sometime in like fourth grade, I want to say. And then death metal came towards the end of middle school. Mm. How did you stumble upon those? Uh, Metallica, uh, just one of my friends that I skateboarded with, showed me Metallica when I was in, in elementary school, and I immediately became completely obsessed and went down the rabbit holes of like Iron Maiden and Pantera and all the other stuff. And then death metal, one of my friends growing up, I don't remember who he showed me, but he showed me some death metal, and I was interested but not sure, and that Nile was the first band that... I found. I think. I think I found it from a Guitar World magazine. Really? And, uh, yeah. Just the imagery got you. Yeah. There's like a little tiny, like one paragraph blurb about one of their records. I don't remember. I think it was those whom the gods detest. And I was just like, all right. Uh, I think that was one of the first. Like, I, I'd heard death metal before. I'd listened to death metal, but I think that was one of the first records that I really dove into. And like, what was it about that that just made you want to go further? I don't know. The, just the intense, the high speed and the intensity of the guitar playing the crazy leads yeah, it's, it's a melodic record but it's not crazy melodic it's just really harsh and aggressive and something about it just it, it felt like an army marching forward it's like I really loved that funnily enough Vitriol's first tour ended up being with Nile. yes how did that feel how did you is that something you've contemplated on when uh, we got the when I got the call that we were getting that tour. I was in my rehearsal space at the time, which has long hallways, and it was during the daytime, and no one was there. And I think I ran laps around the rehearsal space for about five minutes straight. Really? I was so excited, yeah. That's so cool. It was completely unreal. And I, I watched their whole set almost every night of the tour. First European tour, was that your first time in Europe? Uh, I went to Europe as a child. went to Rome and Greece. But that was my first time as an adult, so very different. Did you get to experience some craft beer over there? I did, yeah. I Not as much as I would have liked to, but I got to try a lot of the old classics fresh for the first time because they taste incredibly different fresh, and that was amazing. I did go out of my way. When we were in Lichten Falls, we were only about a 20-minute train ride from Bomberg, so I went to one of my favorite breweries called Schlenkerla, and uh, that was an extremely special experience for me. It's the best part of touring for me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, and playing shows. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, whenever we have the time to go do something beer-related afterwards, I try to make that happen. But, yeah, shows first, then beer. <laughs> it's the reason why we're there, right? <laughs> Let's touch on the fact that you're the only one in the band that does drink. How do you... How does that work in the band? How do they feel about you drinking? 
no one really has a problem with it. You know, I as long as I get, you know, as long as I play guitar well and you know take care of my responsibilities and whatnot, it's a non-issue. So that's been really cool. I've never been in a band where I'm the only drinker before, but you know, we've we've done th- three tours now and it has not been a problem yet. And I don't really foresee it being a problem in the future. It's been nice. I'd always just be worried that I'd be too sloppy, not playing wise, but like coming in and then causing issues that they might not put up with because it's due to the alcohol. I'm a really relaxed drunk whenever I do get drunk. I usually, I'm pretty casual. I don't get too drunk. Maybe a couple times a tour, like I'll get a little saucy, but I'm a really relaxed, easygoing person when I'm, when I've got some beer in me, so it's never too bad. At what point did the guitar come in? Uh, Was it from Metallica? Was it from Metallica? It's absolutely Metallica. Um, and I, I, I'm sure you noticed I played Explorer on stage, and I still paying yeah. my homage to Metallica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember your first guitar? Yeah, it was a Dan Electro. Oddly, I uh, saw it in a shop, and I really wanted it. Well, I guess that was my first real guitar. My uh, my parents would not let me have a guitar, so. I I was on like a middle school field trip to an amusement park and I saw a guitar at a ring toss. No way. And my uh, mom gave me 20 bucks for some reason. So I spent the whole 20 bucks uh, throwing rings until I got the guitar. And she was not happy when I walked home with the guitar. <laughs> that is a phenomenal story. Why would your parents not want you to have a guitar? Uh, I don't know. I got lots of strange things growing up. My mom's not the most supportive of my music, so it was a fight for a long time. My dad wanted, thought it was okay, but my mom didn't, and I ended up forcing it in there. How do they feel about it now with all the success and you touring the world? Have they warmed up to it? Uh, my dad has warmed up to it quite a bit. I don't talk to my mom very much, um, but I, I know they can tell I'm happy doing what I'm doing. It's nothing better than uh, it's, living it's, the dream. It's the best. Especially so quickly. <laughs> you, you know, just vitriol just took off so fast. Yeah, it's hard to keep up sometimes in your mind. It's like, it's happening. You've already done a lot of them, a lot of the bucket list bands to tour with. You've already done that. But if you could pick a tour lineup for vitriol, a dream tour, what, who would be on that? I would have to say Immolation, Death Spell Omega... I would love to tour with Dying Fetus. Yeah. That'd be a badass tour right there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'd ask people this question. They would say Vitriol. I want to know what you, Mike from Vitriol, has to say. What is a band that people are sleeping on right now that should have more recognition that more people should know about? Oh, that, that Teeth Band that just put out the record this year. They are absolutely incredible. I don't think people are listening to them enough at all. I think people need to listen to more Dim Mock. That's two right there. Sweet. Let's touch on back onto craft beer. As we were walking here, you mentioned that you homebrewed. You have worked in the craft beer industry. Uh, you've worked in, in craft beer stores. Let's touch on how that all took a part of your life. So I, uh, I got into craft beer really early. I got into craft beer when I was 18, and I became a fixture. I, I'll preface this with I got away with a lot of underage drinking. That's I, what you're I, mentioning. I became a, a fixture in the craft beer community just as like a customer that was around a lot at all of the beer spots for a long time. And you know, eventually I got asked to work at one of them, and the first time I got asked, I was too young. 
So I said no. The second time, I was barely old enough, and I wanted the job. I didn't want to ruin my chances of ever going back to that bar, and it was, exactly. it was really it was a hard choice, but I decided to apply for it, and that's it snowballed from there. And what job was that? What was the first it thing It was did? at a... I'm not even going to say the bar now, because I don't want to get them in trouble, but it was at a... Very, very well-known uh, craft beer bar. Well, what were you doing there? I, I worked in the bottle shop side. Okay. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty much re- retail beer. And uh, I, I worked there for two and a half years. Um, it's it's a very, very well-known craft beer, like, known all over the country. Uh, so, I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be too hard to figure it out. If I think I already to. have, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up going... I worked at a beer distributor after that called Point Blank and another one called Day One. I briefly did cellar work for a brewery called Alameda that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, all, all, pretty much all of my employment has been beer after I was 21. Crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. What is your favorite part of it? I love the connections. I love all the people. People are really friendly and passionate about you know what beer is it's just it brings people together and when you're passionate and nerdy about like little aspects of you know like you know just flavor profiles and just being able to point out and talk about beers it's just it's fun and then i was talking about this earlier today but you know all of the trips you get to take to go visit beers like i feel like the beer can be a vehicle to new experiences absolutely and it's very close to metal when nerding out about, you know, different subgenres, just different subtleties in songs with other metalheads. I never thought about that before, but you're totally right. And traveling to go see shows can be the same type of thing. It's the connectivity between craft beer and metals. It just is so close all the time. I feel it. Because the connectivity between touring with someone, you don't see them for six months, a year, you hang out again. Everything's the same. Absolutely the same with beer too. Well, like that's I it. go to you know several beer festivals every year and don't see people. And like I've got regulars when I worked at my beer bar, they would only see you know a couple times a year. And every time I'd see them, it'd be like we never left each other. Um, the same thing with metal, and it's cool. Like I've met a lot of metalhead friends th- through beer that came into my beer store that. I would have never known otherwise. Or I would have seen him around, but I never would have actually gone up to them and talked to him. So like, shout out to Corey Walsh there. But. Sweet. <laughs> shout out. Let's talk about you guys have been only touring for a short time, but what is the worst thing that has happened to you guys on the road? Uh, in Mobile, Alabama, about five shows into the last tour, uh, I decided to pull over to a gas station at four in the morning on a long 10-hour drive to Florida. And there was some guy that seemed a little suspect, and he ended up hopping in the car and pointing a gun at my head. And uh, no fucking way! Oh yeah, and he, he played games with me for about ten to fifteen minutes. He only got away with uh, my my phone, Scott's phone, and then like about eighty bucks worth of cash. But it was pretty scary. Um, I got robbed at gunpoint, and like only like two days later, full of hell ended up getting their entire van stolen. So like that was. That's hands down got to be the craziest thing that's ever happened to me on the road. Having spoken to Ollie uh, after the tour, he said that it was like a black cloud following that tour. It was a cursed tour. It, it turned around, but like it seemed, everything seemed pretty grim for the first like week or two of that tour. I can never imagine that you're driving, some guy gets in, 
puts a gun to your head. I was just like, okay, that's what's happening the right now. The rest of the guys are all in the back of the van. Yeah, the funniest thing, like, yeah, he didn't know they were back there. They're all Someone's asleep. sleeping. Everyone, everyone's asleep, so no, no one knows what's going way. on. And uh, he uh, kept telling me, he, like, to put my hands up, and then he told me to, like, grab my wallet. And I'd go to grab the wallet, and then he'd, like, put the gun closer to me. He's like, I told you not to move. And he just did that, like, five or ten times. It's like, all right, man, like, what are you trying to do here? But That's I mean, we, we were fun. lucky. We lost two phones and eighty dollars. It it could have been a lot worse. I laugh about it now. I was pretty shook up for a few days. But I can imagine all, all all the worst stories are always funny in hindsight, right? It's hilarious. <laughs> he, I, the funniest thing was when he got out of the van. He took our coffee maker. So just planning ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be energized to steal more people's stuff. Unbelievable. Well, fuck that guy. Yeah. I'm sure he's got a great life. I, I think uh, people that fuck with touring bands are the scum of the earth. They have no idea like that we are not rich, well-off people. They have no idea what the situation is. Like, I don't think they even know we're on tour or anything. They just, they're just picking, picking low-hanging fruit, and we are that. We're, out people of that we're from out of town. We don't know where we are. We're out of our element. They see it. They know. But people that like park and, and steal vans... And, are people that watch that that you know yep thieves are the lowest of humans for me because because we put everything into our music we're all just investing everything and trying to accomplish a dream that's just so out there i've given up everything i had for music like i don't i've gotten rid of every valuable possession except for my guitars and like this is all I have. I have everything invested in music, so it's like to, the thought of getting any of that taken away from me is a horrifying, horrifying thought. You guys didn't talk about this on social media either. No, no, not at all. It's like we got lucky. We didn't lose that much. It's no reason to talk about it. That's good. A lot of people would have used it as a reason to either say "fuck that guy" or try to get some funding to to get stuff back. Well, we cut our losses. You know, thankfully, I was due for an upgrade with the phone. And so I, I think it, it only ended up costing us like maybe like 200 bucks at the end of the day. So it's like no need to no need to reach out for that. We're, we're adults. We can take care of ourselves. Take me back to your first show. What was the first live band you saw? Oh, uh, Iron Maiden. Really? That's yeah, a good one. I saw Iron Maiden on that. Uh, it was the tour they did. I don't, I don't remember when it was. It, it was like two albums ago or something, I want to say. Um, they played with Dream Theater. Ooh. And uh, oh, I was just, I was the most happy, excited person ever. I, was, I, I never thought my parents would let me go to a show, but they let me go to that one. So that was the first show I ever went to. When you were there, were you like, that's going to be me someday? I hoped. I, I, I always knew that this is what I wanted to do. So, like, I can't, like, thinking back on myself as a child now, I can't tell if I would be shocked that I'm here or if I would be cocky and know I'd be here. <laughs> Depends on the day, right? Yeah. If you could travel back in time and give yourself one album from the future... To help improve your songwriting, your guitar playing, what album would that be? Oh, man. Uh, I think if I had discovered Death Spell Omega earlier, I 
that would have kick-started my songwriting like where I am now. Death Spell Omega, or if I had gotten into Pig Destroyer earlier. Um, either of those two, I got into them relatively late, and they're huge mainstays of my like writing style these days, so it's like, if I had started listening to those bands at, even just like a few years earlier, that would have kick-started my writing process, but... I don't really... It's hard to think about stuff like that because, you know, that's your... How you write and who you are as a musician grows over time. So it's like, it's not really a mistake that things come to you when they come to you. Life always has a path. Yeah. I don't believe in anything higher power-esque, but I do believe that life provides what you need. Totally agree. Things happen on their own timeline for a reason. It's like, like you bump into things when you need to. You guys are all like older dudes coming in. Well, I, I'm only I'm only 25. The rest of the dudes are all <laughs> older dudes. <laughs> You're the baby. I'm the baby. <laughs> How, you know, that that's their path. They had to go through a lot of struggles to get to vitriol. They poured their hearts and souls into this for years and years. I am thankful that you know I've gotten to join with a lot of that groundwork laid. Like they, the blood, sweat, and tears Kyle, Adam, and Scott have poured into this band over the years is just incredible, and it's inspiring. How are you, are you guys already thinking about the next record? Writing the next record? Do you feel the pressure? to come up with a strong follow-up. Uh, Kyle's the primary songwriter for the band. Um, there's been talk... Like, Kyle's feeling really inspired right now. We were just talking about the other day, and, like, he's excited to get off the road and start working on the new record and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's more of a Kyle question. I'm, I'm excited for whatever we cook up. It's going to be fun no matter what. Yeah. Sky's the limit with you guys. You guys are... Uh, what I saw tonight... I, it's very intense. I really appreciate oh, the intensity. It's, it's like vulgar fast. And then it has the grooves interlaced within the violence. I love it. We feel what we're playing up there. Absolutely. You can tell. You guys wanted a pit, though. Did want a pit. How I don't, you, know, I don't know if it happened or not. I did not see a pit. I apologize. Oh, Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel when that happens? What What is that feeling versus... How was your experience playing a show when there's a crowd going wild, pitting like crazy versus when they're standing in, in observance? Ah, the crazier we, the crowd goes, the crazier we go. I mean, like, we'll, we'll try to go crazy no matter what, but, like... When the crowd's moving around and going crazy, like, we uh, played New Hampshire the other night, and, like, that crowd was just insane, and, like, in, re in response, we all went pretty insane on stage. It's like, it, it feels good when you can feel the crowd feeling the energy that you're giving to them. I, I know for sure that tonight they were just in observance, trying to just understand and take you guys in for the first time. Well, we're used to that too. That we don't take any offense to that or anything. Like tonight's crowd was great. Like they cheered, they were loud. People want to listen to what we are playing. So I don't don't fault them if they're not moving around. Are you still a pitter? Every once in a while. Are you good for you? I gotta I gotta worry about my hands. 
you know, not ruin my tools. But yeah, I, I moshed a little bit earlier in this tour and Did rem- you? remembered why I don't mosh that much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but we expect it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts so much. I'm props to all the moshers out there. Absolutely. Like, you guys have more energy than I do. And, and you make our shows that much better. It's so much. It's so great. If you ever thinking about moshing at one of our shows, just do it. It'll make me happy. All, all, honestly, all it needs is one person. You can usually find someone out in the crowd, and you can like point at them, and then which I see you guys do. You guys like really like each take turns trying to instigate a pit tonight, and I like that. It's not just like a standing singer where it's his job to start try to start movement in a pit. I like that when the rest of the band try to interact with the crowd when you yeah. can. Like, it's great, absolutely great. Um, you mentioned you used to skate. Do you still skate, or do you not do that? I do you're still skate. Yeah. I do still skate, and every time I hop on the board, I'm very. It's very much on my mind. Like uh, I don't, I don't do. A, I, I used to skate bowls and parks a lot, and I don't do that as much anymore. Because when I do that, pretty much every single time, I do get hurt, and I allow that to happen, but. I do lots of cruising around. I'll do long. I'll do like a 10, 15 mile ride. That's awesome. Yeah, but I'm always like laser eyes at the ground looking for rocks or pebbles or anything so I don't fly off my board like a catapult. Fuck up your hands. Yeah, it's happened before. That's why I stopped skating years ago, but I got got, got to live my life. What was the biggest injury? I never got too hurt. I screwed up my foot one time pretty bad, and I've really I've sprained my wrist, but I've luckily never gotten too hurt, and I think I'm just trying to not get there. As we were coming here, you mentioned creating a fake untapped account. Oh, yes. Let's touch on that. I like that very much. Oh, Lord. Uh, I uh, was tired of watching customers walk around my store. Uh, instead of asking the employees, they'll just look at the untapped, and you'll be like, hey, is there anything I can help you with? They'll be like, no, I'm all right. That's okay. So, if this one has four stars, I'm happy. Yeah, so I uh, created a fake untapped with a fake name, and uh, it's called Hazy Lambic 420, if you want to look it up. <laughs> we <laughs> should I just, add you. I should add write, you. write ridiculous reviews of beers. Just like, <laughs> sometimes like paste it, like advertisements from Amazon, product descriptions and stuff, and like just write ridiculous stuff because it's like anyone can write anything on untapped doesn't make it true so I figured I'd muddy the waters a little more I don't do untapped I don't like untapped people ask me all the time what's your untapped do you have one I don't have the time. I like living in the moment. I like experiencing a beer. Yeah, absolutely. No hate for anyone who does Untapped. Some of my best friends do Untapped, and they they've got great points. You know, it show it's great to see where people check in certain beers, so you can find a beer. It's great to catalog what you've drank, but. I think it's kind of dumb. <laughs> it's not for me either. It's not for me. I just want to drink the beer. Uh, the farthest I'll go is the occasional Instagram post about a beer. I don't even do that as much anymore. I used to do it all the time. I'm very guilty of that, but that comes uh, with doing this. I used to do it so much. It was like my entire Instagram feed for years. Like Now I'll like save that for like a Cantillon or something. I am super guilty of using IMDb to watch movies, though. Super guilty. IMDb. Oh yeah, the, the, it's like a Rotten Tomatoes, but a different version. Yeah. yeah oh, that's that's fair. I, I trust movie watchers more than I trust beer drinker because you don't have to have a trained palate to watch a movie. You can. That's true. Yeah. Like people don't understand how different styles are supposed to taste traditionally. What's acceptable for like what acceptable off flavors are and whatnot. So it's like you know you might have the most beautiful pilsner ever. 
but Joe in Ohio hates loggers, so he gave it a one star. So I was like, I don't. That's that's where Untapped gets a little hairy for me. Untapped is really hard too because it's based out of five stars. And you have to rate it against every other beer you've had. Well, and you can give such crazy reviews. You can give like a 4.237. It's like, oh, man, I only drink beers that are 4.237 or higher. If it's a 4.236, no way. Not for me. Drain pour. Drain pour. <laughs> oh, I'm a big, big time drain pour. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for coming, drinking a beer with me. Thanks for Fox having me, man. I really appreciate really, it. Really, appreciate it. Cheers, brother. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. As I mentioned during the interview, I had just witnessed such a visceral, such a brutal, such an organic yet totally vicious attack from Vitriol during their set at the Vitriol Hideous Divinity Abysmal Dawn and Vader show that came through Montreal. It seems like so long ago now with everything that's going on with COVID-19, going to shows. Tell me what you guys are missing. I had such a good time that night. I I am already deeply missing that concert experience, going out there, seeing all my friends, being with everyone. But uh, don't worry, everyone. The more that we practice social distancing, the more that we stay to ourselves, we wash our hands, the sooner that we can end this hiatus from shows during this time of need. It is very important for us to support all of these artists that we love. It is very important that we support all of our local craft breweries here in Quebec. Right now, a lot of breweries are extremely worried about their future. Some of the legal aspects up here are slightly different, and they are always different. Uh, alcohol laws vary from state to state, from country to country, from province to province. But here in Quebec, right now, if you live here and you're listening to Vox and Hops episodes, it's very important to drink local products. Support your local breweries and support your favorite artists right now because trust me they need it they are struggling and uh, they've always been there for us so we should be there for them right now i hope you guys have a great weekend i hope that you have a great week after that remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer but as i mentioned last week it's important to enjoy craft beer responsibly right now because during this day and age we need to keep our wits about us we need to be on top of things we need to be able to react quickly right now so enjoy your craft beer responsibly much love and respect. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. Everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.